Brian and welcome to Meet and Greet. This is a new series of podcasts from Meet Business Women. Today we're chatting to Katie Doherty, Policy Director and CEO-elect of IMPTA, the International Meat Trade Association. Hi Katie, how are you? Hi Laura, I'm doing well, thank you. So thank you for talking to us today, really appreciate it. Um, tell us a bit about IMPTA, who are they? Okay, so the International Meat Trade Association represents both importers and exporters of beef, lamb, pork and poultry meat. And our origins actually go back as far as 1895. Um, so currently we represent about 65 trading companies who import and export sort of from around the world. So we have members that might import from Europe, but also from further afield, so from Thailand, New Zealand, Australia, South America. And then we have members that export to the EU and further afield to all markets around the world. Um, and we also have associate members, um, so the likes of freight forwarders and shipping lines who provide expertise in other parts of the supply chain. So we, we kind of cover the whole international meat trade in that sense. Uh, our members are predominantly UK-based companies, um, but we do also have a couple of members in other parts of, of Europe. Um, and IMTA is a member of the European um, Trade Association representing the meat sector, UECBV. So our role is in providing our members with market information, information about updates to legislation and policy, um, and then around lobbying and government and making sure that the voice of our particular members are, are heard to the various kind of government departments and officials. Fantastic. So normally your day job, I'm guessing, is really busy anyway. But over the last two years in particular, I guess over the last uh, 18 months or so, it must have been flat out. And I guess it's it's really challenged in terms of the, the breadth of your role. Indeed, yeah. Uh, we're now wearing several hats. So we are still continuing to engage with Brussels because our members as, as traders will continue to have an interest in, in Europe. So that's really key for us influencing EU legislation and will be going forward. We also now have this additional kind of piece of work which is around Brexit and in, for the last two and a bit years it has probably taken up about 80% or more of our time and that's actually meant to meant, uh, led to us expanding. So we have two additional members of staff um, to help us to deal with um, the various challenges around Brexit but also making sure that we are still able to provide our core service to members with kind of the, the news that we provide and updates on legislation and queries for our members so yeah we're wearing several hats I think it's fair to say in these circumstances. Gosh and tell me how did you end up at IMTA? Do you have a farming or meat background? So, no, I did an international <laughs> history degree at London School of Economics. So the only bit that kind of uh, relevant, I suppose, is the international bit of the, the international history degree. So I'd say transferable skills kind of came into play here. And um, it was, I just saw the job advertised and I knew that I wanted to work in a small organisation um, with a diversity of things I'd be working on each day. Um, and I applied and six years later I'm absolutely loving the role um, and it's yeah it's been fantastic so I think by chance. <laughs> and it, that's interesting because it, it seems to be a, a real uh, story about a lot of particularly females in the meat industry it's by chance and just we just happen to drop into it and then become really passionate about it so it, it, and certain for you to be CEO as well within six years is just just fantastic. Yeah, it has been a, a very interesting six years, um, and I would I would recommend getting into the meat industry um, to to anybody. Really, it's it's been fascinating, and the people in the industry are really 
great, exciting to be involved in. So we're going to talk about the B word, let's be brave, because there's a lot going on, (laughs) (laughs) particularly this week. And uh, I know everyone listening is going to be uh, really intrigued to to hear your thoughts on it. I know our last conference, and and you've kindly spoken at our last two conferences, uh, people have been fascinated by the insight um, that you offer. So give us the current state of play with Brexit from, uh, from your lens. So the EU27 and the UK have reached a technical level agreement on, I guess, the divorce, um, the withdrawal agreement. It's a technical agreement at, at the moment, and it still has various stages to go through. And the key one there is that it needs to go through the UK Parliament. So there is scheduled to be a meaningful vote on the 11th of December, whereby MPs in the House of Parliament um, are able to vote on whether they approve Theresa May's proposed agreement or whether they don't. And there are various possible outcomes that could kind of come come as a result of that. There's also various pieces of UK legislation that are going through Parliament, such as the taxation and cross-border bill, so that we are prepared to be an independent trading nation, whatever agreement or not we may have with, with the EU or not. We would be able to set our own tariffs, have our own tariff rate quotas, and we'll be able to set our own customs regime. So there's various pieces of legislation going through Parliament, along with obviously the negotiations that have taken place between the UK and the EU27. What what could the meaningful vote on the 11th actually mean, and particularly for the meat sector? Um, so there are sort of various kind of outcomes, as I say. If the vote on the 11th um, goes through, then the withdrawal agreement with the EU would lay down this transition period that's been talked about. So from the 29th of March of next year until at least the end of December 2020 we would have a transition period which would be good for business because it would essentially mean business as usual. The withdrawal agreement also gives provision that the transition period could be extended so that's positive if, if that was required and the other thing that would then need to happen would be more work would need to be done on the political declaration and the UK position for entering into negotiation with the EU on a future economic framework between the EU and the UK and that would need to begin around the 30th of March 2019. So it wouldn't be everyone sort of size with relief on that date. There'll still be quite a lot of work and preparation around getting ready for those negotiations starting on the 30th of March 2019. And the other thing that the withdrawal agreement would allow the UK to do is start officially negotiating new free trade agreements as of that date. Though the only caveat to that would be that none of these agreements would be able to come into effect until after the transition period has ended. So that's if the vote went through. Um, But I think there's a lot of speculation that possibly the vote might not get through, in which case possibly the uh, Theresa May could go back to the EU27 to see if there are any areas where they can make changes and then in which case it would have to come back to Parliament for a vote on um, whatever those changes might have been and that could take us into the new year so getting ever close to the um, sort of March 29th deadline and there's no gar- there would still be no guarantee that it would go through Parliament. It's also possible that if there's political will there but on both sides that there could be an extension um, to the pe- period of negotiation for Article 50 which could allow a little bit more time but I can't see that happening until very late in the day um, if that's a possibility and unfortunately there is the possibility of no deal and a cliff edge on March 29th at 11pm um, UK time, 12 o'clock Brussels time um, and that would, would mean 
changes in terms of the tariffs that would be applied um, between the EU and the UK, potential for the UK not to actually have approval for its meat exports to the EU. And if they are approved, then they would likely face veterinary checks upon entry into the EU. And we'd have customs declarations between the EU and the UK. So there would be imposition of some kind of friction between the EU and the UK in that scenario. So not not a good scenario for the meat industry. So we, I think we're hopeful that that doesn't doesn't happen. And you explaining it in that terms just really hits it home that the, the challenge that the market could potentially have. If we ended up with a, a cliff edge situation, what, would it be one minute past 11 uh, p.m. then uh, WTO uh, tariffs would click into effect? Or again, would there be a small transition? How would that work? So no deal does mean that, no deal. Mm-hmm. So those tariffs would come in as of um, 11 p.m. on the 29th yeah. of March. Um, and if you look at the EU full duty or MFN tariff, that's equivalent on average to a 60% tariff on beef imports. Unless the UK government did something unilaterally, that would be the duty that would apply to UK imports of beef as of um, 11 o'clock on March 29th and similarly in the other direction for UK exports of beef to the EU but as I say the UK government could do something unilaterally whereby it could reduce the applied tariff or it could set applied quotas but it wouldn't be allowed in a no deal scenario to offer that just to the EU it would have to be something it would do to apply to any WTO country that could supply so with veterinary approval under WTO rules. So what should meat businesses be thinking about to prepare? Um, So I think the first thing would be to read the technical notices that are pertinent to the meat industry Um, and if you're a member of a trade association getting the trade association to help you in understanding how that might apply to your particular business setup. We've done a lot of work in recent months of going and visiting members to talk them through how the various scenarios would apply to their particular business Um, because it is quite difficult to look at a technical notice and just kind of see how that might actually have implications for your business Um, and we know that government is putting out some additional communications such as the partnership pack which has been issued by by customs and other government departments are also adding in information Um, but it is quite general so if you are a member of a trade association, because they're specialised in, in that sector, they might be able to help signpost you to the particular kind of areas that, that, that are relevant to you. And then if you're a business that hasn't been engaged on international trade and in the sense of customs or veterinary checks, be maybe doing some kind of uh, reading around the subject to see what that could mean. What, does a, what would you need to do? Um, in order to be able to make customs declarations if you're required to do so. So that might be talking to a freight forwarder, that you might look to play that role if it's required, if there was a no-deal scenario. It might be looking at what the tariffs are, um, those full-duty tariffs, and what that would, would mean for your business. And maybe looking at some training around things like tariff classification, because that might not be something you've had experience with to date. Um, but that would possibly equip you better to deal with um, whatever might come down the track if if it's a no-deal scenario. Looking at that and asking some questions, and then the other key thing is to engage with your MP if you haven't already done so. 
Um, because in, in the event of no deal, I think that probably is a useful channel for you to have open for particularly kind of key challenges for your business. Are, are many businesses doing that? And are you seeing that happening more and more? Or is it, you know, should we be pushing harder for that, so that sort of stuff to happen? Um, so it's, it's been to a sort of varying extent across our membership. There have been members that have been very engaged and had several meetings with their MPs. Um, others that have written to say these are our key concerns, which which is positive. Uh, so I think it's continuing to encourage companies to, to yeah. have that engagement. If we end up with a transition period, what does that mean for business? So will anything change beyond the 29th of March if there is a transition? Okay, so from a business perspective, to all intents and purposes, it would be business as usual. So you'd, there'd be no tariffs between the EU and the UK, no quotas, no customs declarations and no vet checks. So there shouldn't be any material change the idea of the transition period the key difference which is not directly to businesses but it's it's still important is that the UK would not be at the table in Brussels so for example where DEFRA and HMRC might attend meetings of the member states to discuss EU legislation that might be coming forward for implementation the UK would no longer automatically have a seat at that table and in the withdrawal agreement text it suggests that the Commission or the, the EU would be able to invite the UK to attend relevant meetings, but that would be at their discretion. So that would be kind of one of the key changes. But businesses, in terms of a day-to-day perspective, transition should mean that they have business as usual. Yeah. You spoke earlier about, about tariffs, particularly for beef. What are the other tariffs in terms of um uh, WTO uh, rules and what does that look like for, for sheep and pork for example? Okay. So I can give the averages for sheep meat that's around 57% on average and then for pork and poultry meat it's about 30% so that'd be the tariff at the border. If companies want to look at particular tariffs which would apply to particular cuts what they would need to do is look at the customs tariff and it's not necessarily the most user-friendly doc- of documents, but that would give you your exact tariffs for the particular cuts. So we, we, we have um, members that ask questions, uh, you know, what would be the tariff for this particular cut? For example, chill bonus beef in the EU tariff is 12.8% plus 3034 euros a tonne. So they're all different depending on the cuts, but on average, the figures I've just mentioned, that's the, the average Fantastic. And I'm guessing if those um, your members out there want, want a bit more information, they could come to you or uh, companies that aren't currently an IMTA member, they could potentially join it and get more advice if they needed it on that. Certainly, yeah. Tell me the state of play with EU FTAs, free trade agreements. So there's been a bit of press around this, particularly the, the sheep meat quota, for example, that the EU has um, for New Zealand. Will they be rolled over and what proportion of, of that will the UK have? Okay. Or is that yet to be decided? Okay. So... There are two things. So EU FTAs is is one thing, which I can come I can come back to that. But if we're talking specifically about the, the New Zealand sheep meat quota, that forms part of the um, WTO schedule. So at the moment, the EU has its schedule and all those duties that I talked about, those full level of duty, that's in the EU schedule as that's the highest amount of duty it could could charge on imported goods. But there is also another element to that, which is the legal commitments in the WTO. So over the years, when the EU has had negotiations under sort of WTO uh, multilateral rounds, like the um, Uruguay round, for example, the EU may have offered access for beef in exchange for 
maybe some EU cars that it wants to export. And in turn, that's become a, a commitment under the WTO. So that's sort of a hypothetical exchange. That's not specifically what's happened with the New Zealand sheet meat quota, but essentially they're legal commitments in the WTO. So what the EU and the UK have done is taking the New Zealand sheet meat quota as an example. Currently, there is an EU quota for 228,000 tonnes of New Zealand sheep meat. So in the UK leaving the EU, the UK needs to sort out its own schedule. And what they've done is look at the trade dosa over a three-year period. And roughly half of that quota went to the UK in that period and half went to the EU 27. So what the EU and the UK have done in their proposed schedules is say well, one of us is going to take 50% and the other is going to take the other half. If there was a no-deal scenario, the UK could assert its schedule and we would still have access to half of that 228,000 tonne quota into the UK and the EU27 would keep the remainder. Um, So that the quota has essentially been split. And I know that some of the WTO members aren't necessarily happy with the approach that the EU and the UK have taken. We know that some of the UK quota shares are very small. So of the 29,000 or so Argentine Hilton beef quota, the UK share is just 111 tonnes. So that's one exercise. There is also a lot of work going on in the UK around free trade agreements. So these are bilateral agreements. And the UK has been talking to all the different trading partners around the world about how they might roll those over, whether it's in a transition, well, after a transition period, or whether it's no deal. And one of the technical notices actually talks about this and says that during an implementation period, arrangements will be put in place with partner countries so that the UK is treated as an EU member state for the purposes of international trade agreements. But they also talk about if there is no deal, there would be no implementation period, but the government would still seek to bring those free trade agreements that currently exist into force. But they also say, or as soon as possible thereafter, which suggests there could be a potential gap. So if companies are particularly reliant either on exporting under free trade agreement at the moment or importing under one, for example, the Canada agreement, it might be worth looking at what that trade agreement means, what the reduced tariffs are and what the risk is if you didn't have access to those better rates of duty that come as part of being of having that free trade agreement. What else is your plan in terms of um, the run-up, Impta's plan in terms of run-up to March 19? How, how are you guys structuring this? So we continue to have meet individual meetings with member companies because I think that is the best way for companies to understand how the scenarios could apply to them. Um, but we're also currently planning a meeting for the 17th of December which I'd originally scheduled for the 11th of December, but a certain vote uh, <laughs> uh, scuppered that plan. So we pushed it back to the 17th, so we at least have the outcome um, of the meaningful vote. And we're actually planning two possible agendas, one for the instance where agreement goes through to talk about what the transition might mean for, for companies and what we might need to do around future kind of economics partnership negotiation but then one agenda for if there is no deal so we have had quite a few members interested in that meeting to try and understand what it might mean for companies import from outside of the eu the import from the eu the export to non-eu countries and the export to the eu and we're putting together a checklist for members as an additional part of brexit toolkit that we've issued to members which covers areas like tariff classification and tariffs and quota share some of the things i've talked about in more detail 
um, and we'll be expanding that that toolkit to try and give members the tools to, to help them to plan. And then, yeah, as I say, we're going to continue to have members meetings, both as sort of groups, but also with the individual companies, um, and continuing continuing to engage with all relevant government departments. And there are quite a few of those. So it's DEFRA, it's BAES, it's HMRC, it's Department for Access to the EU, it's DIT, and then the likes of the Food Standards Agency and the Treasury. So across the piece, um, we'll continue to engage. What's legislation looking like in terms of preparation for Brexit? Is there anything else there that we need to be aware of? So we've seen that there's the Withdrawal Act, which essentially intends to copy and paste EU legislation. And I think something we're kind of trying to get used to is the way that UK legislation is written very differently to EU legislation. So companies, if they haven't kind of had non well, if they haven't engaged with UK legislation before, it might take, take some getting used to. There's the Taxation and Cross-Border Customs Bill, which sets the UK's customs regime. And I think, as I mentioned, it allows the UK to vary tariffs and set quotas. And there's the secondary legislation that's kind of coming out of that bill. So that will be on some of the detail. So companies might be wanting to keep an eye on that, whether they want to, to comment or ask questions for clarification and what that might mean and there's, there have been a couple of those statutory instruments laid before parliament but more of those will come in the next month or so there's also the trade bill which kind of is around giving powers to the uk to negotiate free trade agreements so again that one could be of interest to companies that are involved in international trade um, and there's a massive volume of secondary legislation to get through Parliament in quite a short period of time, and particularly if, if it is no deal. There isn't a great amount of time uh, for getting that legislation through. What are industry saying to you? You know, What are your key members saying to you? Because I, I was really taken, as I think, think you were, by uh, Adam Couch, CEO of Cranswick Comments, our conference uh, earlier this year and he was talking about Brexit you know not just being this short-term challenge but the biggest long-term challenge industry that potentially has ever faced is that uh, ricocheting across industry as well are your members saying that too and what, what are the other key takeouts that you're picking up I think yeah I think Adam Couch's point about it yeah being a longer term thing is, is definitely right particularly if the UK does have the ability to change its own legislation and have its own free trade agreements that could very much change what the landscape looks like um, for international trade. I'm not sure that many companies are looking too far ahead. I think they're looking mainly for clarification as to, to what things might look like sort of over the horizon from March onwards, whether it is transition and business as usual or whether it's something different and if so what is the government's plan for dealing with that um, because companies would need to have kind of great clarification about what they might need to do as, a, as, a, as an individual business. If uh, meet businesses uh, that are currently aren't an IMTA member uh, I know you've got a fantastic LinkedIn um, page which uh, I regularly look at in terms of updates but what are, what are the other touch points where people can get in touch with you? So they could pick up the phone speak to us there's usually somebody in the office who's not got too many too many meetings on um, or they could email us um, at info at imta-uk.org um, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You've been listening to Meet and Greet brought to you by Meet Business Women. For more information about us see meetbusinesswomen.org and for future podcasts see iTunes or Google Play. Next time we're going to be speaking to Ashley Gray, CEO of World Butchers Challenge and also GM of Beef and Lamb New Zealand. I hope you can join us. Thank you.